Whenever you're ready, sir. I am ready, because this is Stairway to, to the Evans. Ev- to the Evans. <laughs> Here we go. So stairway to the Evans. It is... Episode pa- 9. Number 9. Number 9. Past your 57th birthday now, so you're about six days as a 57-year-old now. I feel so vibrant. So alive. Well, I can say you can always switch your numbers around, but then you'd be 75, and then I don't think you want to get older. No, you could only thing that would help me is add the 7 and the 5 together, and that would be 12, but that wouldn't actually work too much either, actually. Well, they always say, act your age, not your shoe size. I don't think you want to act like a 12-year-old now nowadays. No. Well, a lot of other people do these days. Would you agree? Ooh, what a segue. Ooh, that is a segue, <laughs> but that is going to be a discussion for a little bit yeah. later on. Not quite this second. Yeah, We're going to go from 12-year-olds to older gentlemen who somehow still have a job with the New York Yankees. Yes, welcome to WADD.com. WADD 101.5. Radio. Radio. CT Radio News. We're going to start things off with, obviously, the news, which I'm going to quickly do it because we've heard it all the time. Booney is back, got a three-year deal, and uh, mixed results about it. Well, the whole thing is, I know when uh, when this came over the, the newswire, the first thing I thought was how utterly disgusted you're going to be about this news. Well, here's the deal. <laughs> Aaron Boone... He is not a bad guy. No. I have nothing against him. You'll have a beer with him. Yes, I would have a beer with Aaron Boone because logically, he's very baseball smart. There's a reason yes. why he got this job because clearly he knows the game, yes. but he I don't think he's the right fit for manager. I'm sorry. And yes, I know I'm going to get these questions. It's like if Aaron Boone is not the manager, then who is the manager? Then who would be the manager? Considering that they have four other spots that fell now. So. Well, the whole thing is... What the Yankees did is they figured they cut the cancer out, but they didn't go for the main... The main entree of the year. So they got rid of, what, what, was it three or four coaches? They got rid of their third base coach, which I knew was going to happen after that sent home. Uh, Marcus, The hitting coach, Marcus Timms, is out. Their assistant coach is gone, and their first base coach, Reggie Willis, who just... who. It's not coming back after today, so... Did the Bat Boy resign as well? I think there was a big uh, issue about that. No, but I don't think... Bat Boy. Where'd you hear about the Bat Boy? (laughs) But anyway, yeah, um, it just seems kind of weird. It's like, clearly the front office has a thing for Boone. The players like him. The players have their respect for Boone. So I kind of understand why he would stay, why he stayed. But here's the thing, though, and I've told you this many times. You know how much I love George Girardi? Back in the day. Well, I thought he was a great manager. He actually won a couple for them, didn't he? He won a World Series in 09. He actually sent them to the postseason. Remember in 2017 when he took a bunch of nobodies to Game 7 of the American League Championship Series in a team in which they were supposed to rebuild, by the way? Yeah. And then they fired him? Or, they parted, fired him? or parted ways? I guess he ruffled their feathers. Or either he's ruffling the feathers or maybe he wasn't following the analytic way or something like that. But yeah, Boone made it into the postseason of game 162 and then lose to the Red Sox, and yet we're going to give him a three-year deal. Well, maybe he's playing ball, but he's playing ball with upper management. Yeah, I was about to say, clearly it's a huge upper management kind of thing. And because, you know, we're the New York Yankees. They're spoiled. They're so used to winning. They've won 27 World Series titles. So it's almost like... It's been like an eternity the last time that they won, since 2009. So that's about 12 years or so. Yes, I was in high school last time that they won the World Series. 
So the whole thing is you're you're on this whole analytics is a really bad deal. I think analytics is beneficial for some teams. Yes. But it it kind of takes away the whole idea of what the manager is trying to think. And I'm especially seeing it in the postseason. Some managers are getting too cute. You know what they're doing? In their do-or-die game, they're having the opener. I don't know if you know what that is. Mm. The opener is basically when they start off the game with a reliever, and then they have like the long guy set up their way to, to the bullpen to end the game, which I absolutely can't stand, by the way. I think it's the stupidest thing in the world, by the way. But analytics is basically that one little guy. You've seen Moneyball, right? Sure. Like the Jonah Hill kind of characters who work with the front office. They kind of try to develop this lineup that's like analytically based. Like this guy's good against righties or this guy's good against lefties. We're going to put him in the lineup. Or uh, they look at the starting pitcher and they know it's like the second or third time in the lineup. It's like this is too much. Like the batting average is higher. We need to take him out. So that way we need to use the bullpen, which I can't stand. By the way, well, I hate when they do that. Well, it worked in the movie. <laughs> yeah, in a movie. Yeah, in well, a, it was a movie. movie based on real life. Yeah, and again, no, no, no case is one hundred percent foolproof. And the thing is, it's like financial services where they say past performances do not predict the future results. So uh, I, I get what you're saying, but also, is there times when a pitcher will do really well the first year because no one knows his stuff, mm-hmm. and once they know his stuff then he becomes less effective. Well, they have something called tablets now, and in tablets in the dugouts, and what they do is that they show like the kind of pitches that the pitchers throw, so that way the batter can have an idea of what kind of setup or repertoire the pitcher's going to have in order for them to throw in the at-bat. Got it. So that's also one thing, too. And it was one of those things, too. I have a couple of scenarios that I put down, and uh, you may know of a, of a fella named Jacob DeGrom, right? Yes, the, one of the Mets' saviors. Greatest pitcher. <laughs> possibly one of the best pitchers in the game today. Opening day, in which was around April, actually April 4th. Opening day was on April 1st, but then the Mets had a COVID problem against the Nationals. So DeGrom threw six innings against the Phillies, and he threw only 77 pitches. So do you think is that worthy of another inning? 77 pitches. That's... Through six innings? Do you think that's worthy of another inning? Sure, of course. Nope, that didn't happen. <laughs> nope, they took him out of the game, which absolutely made no sense. The Mets, blew, the Mets bullpen blew the game, by the way. He gave up five runs in the eighth inning. Mets lose. And uh, another scenario was Blake Snell of Game 6 of the 2020 World Series last year threw a brilliant alley, by the way. He gave up the second hit of the game, the sixth inning, threw only 73 pitches. Kevin Cash, the manager, made a bonehead move. They took him out of the game. Rays ended up blowing the lead, losing the series, and they... It's just like, why would you do something like that? It's like, you have your best pitchers on the mound in a do-or-die game, and you take him out? It seems like back in the day, managers would keep their pitchers in for much longer. Seven innings, eight Seven, innings. eight innings, Sometimes nine innings. Sometimes finish the whole freaking game. I was about to say, bullpens weren't that much of a big deal. Starters would throw six, seven innings, and then the closer would finish the, finish out the game. So what's going on? Are pitchers less effective, or managers just uh, are afraid to keep them in so because they're going to ruin their arm, or, or are they being just told to take them out by upper... By someone else. I think definitely upper management has something to do with some of these decisions because I feel like in a way analytics is kind of taking away the managers of doing their own thing. Like I feel like with the Yankees is that I think all the moves that have been happening are through Hal Steinbrenner, upper office, 
And I don't think they're actually letting Boone actually do his job as manager. Yes, I know he's won, won one AL East. He's won 100 games in back-to-back seasons. He's averaged about 90, 90 wins per year with this team. But I hate to break it to you. The regular season, great and all. Mm-hmm. It's all about what matters in the postseason, though. And he has no effectiveness in the postseason. A lot of bonehead moves, questionable lineup changes. It's, you know what? This is just his final chance. I, that's all I can say at this point, so... Who, a boom? Yeah, for well, boom. Does he have three more years? Yeah, that's why I said final three. <laughs> uh, with, well, a, with a uh, manager option for uh, the following year. Will the backseat driving continue? Is it, probably, because I, it, there's a, they have a vested interest. And they, everybody wants the team to win. There's no doubt. I want my team to win. Well, I'm saying the Steinbergers want them to win as well. And they're, they're trying to use whatever information they think will help. I was about to say, well, we'll see what happens. And also... I don't want to put a li- I want to put a little bit of blame on the GM too for constructing a team of all righty hitters and unathletic players, but that's another conversation for another day. So that's my whole idea of analytics. And I got into this really big rant yesterday. What was it? I think when I was folding clothes, and I was not very happy about this because I thought this was one of the reasons why. Because they like a guy that's analytic, and they don't want anyone that's old school, like you know, like the. The Billy Martins of the day, or uh, the Casey Stangles, you know, the ones that actually kicked ass, things like that. Well, they didn't care what England said. Well, yeah. They got fired five times, I think. Billy Martin five times, six yeah. times? How many five, times did he get fired? Uh, six times. <laughs> but yeah, he still had a job somehow. I don't know how, but uh, you won't hear that anymore. Like, no. ever. So it's no, like, once you're done, you're done. They give them a, a shorter rope to, to hang themselves with now, is what they, is what they say. Times are different now. Well, yeah. all you have to see what's happening. All I just hear is that bullpen arms is like dead arms or relievers are tired or stars are not going longer because they were used like in one inning of a game. It's just it's just a mess now. So what are they doing right now? Now that he's back, do you think they're 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 strategizing on next year and how they're gonna how how do you think he's gonna approach next year knowing all the crap that's gone down and he has to Show a winning team at this point. Well, you know what we do in a situation like this? Got to prove them wrong. Prove it that he's the guy that can lead the team. It's like the first four years, I didn't think he can do it. Prove me wrong, Booney. You think prove he needs wrong? to go hang out with Tony Robbins or some sort of guru that's going to give him some more uh, pep talks and self-motivation to kind of push towards the team? Like a Joe Torre, maybe? Sure. Someone like that? Oh, Joe Torre was great. Joe Torre was great, yeah. He was manager from 96 to 07, and but yet... Fans wanted him out in 04 after blowing a three games to none lead. But uh, mm. I feel like also Boone took more of the blame to some players' actions. But, you know, sometimes the players, you got to look up to the guy. And I don't think he was that guy. So prove me wrong. I mean, anything can happen in the next three years. So That's right. So is, is it going to be rebuilding or is it just kind of working with the same high-priced fellas that they're going to try to get squeeze more out of them this time. Except for Stan, of course, and, and Judge that did very well. Well, well Judge, <laughs> I think, is going to get a... Uh, Judge is probably going to get a big contract because he said he wants to be a Yankee. So expect another maybe $200, 250000000 million mm-hmm. contract from him. And uh, I think LeMayu is going to come back healthy. I think they're going to try to find a way to get rid of Voight, which kind of sucks, but I expected it. Maybe trying to find a way to get rid of Gallo, resign Rizzo, and that's also another conversation for another day. I don't want to bore you with people's names that you don't know of. So, well, this is you're you're not talking to me. You're talking to your audience. I'm I'm just some good looking guy that has me sitting next to you, like the monkeys. Oh, segue. <laughs> Last night I went to 
the Monkees' final concert tour. I don't know if anyone knows who the Monkees are, but back in the 1960s, 64, 65, they were just as big as the Beatles. Did, have you ever heard of the, the Monkees? Yeah, I have. I know one song. I know one song by them. Would that be uh, "I'm a Believer"? Pretty much, yeah. By Crash Mouth or no, Smash, Smash Mouth? Smash Mouth. That was Cra- Crash Mouth. Smash, <laughs> I mean, Crash and Smash are pretty much the same thing. But yes. yeah, Smash Mouth. That was played in Shrek. They actually got it from uh, from uh, the Monkees. Um, I'll give you a, a quick synopsis of this whole thing. The whole thing. The Monkees were a made-up group. They were they were basically four actors that were put together in a TV sitcom. In the 60s to do this like goofy... Were they called the monkeys? They were called the monkeys. The thing is, only one guy who Mike Nesmith actually even played guitar. The rest of them may believe that they they actually did anything. So, But as, as time went on, the show became super popular. And they all learned how to play instruments because they were playing concerts. They actually even shared a bill with Jimi Hendrix. Which was maybe the most ill-fated duo of... Think of Jimi Hendrix and the Monkees. The Monkees were like a, a pop rock, they were kind of countryish like, kind of. They were kind of like the rock. Beatles before the Beatles became, or actually, they were around the same time that the Beatles became huge. They were around the same time. The, it, the thing is, the show I went to yesterday, only two of them are still alive. And how old are they? 78, 75. Well, the fact that they're still playing at that age is pretty remarkable. Some, too. some of the hits were uh, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Daydream Believer, I'm a Believer. Stepping Stone, these are really, but the thing is, they really dug deep into the catalog of things I didn't even know. You know, this is like stuff off my solo album back in 1975, and it was really good, but I, you know, most of the audience were a lot older than me, even though I'm 57, they were more flipped, 75. Like, I'd say the, the median age was about 64 and a half. The fact that they were still together was unbelievable. The band was killer. They had a seven-piece band with, like, Two guitarists and a steel guitar and a bass and a keyboard and drummer and bassist and a background vocalist who was actually Mickey Dolan's sister. So I know this is, this is like you talk, I'm throwing names at you now. The thing is, what was really cool that throughout all this, even though people died, they still went on. And Mike Nesmith, who was the original guy, he had two heart attacks within the last few years. And he looked like, he looked rugged, re- rugged, really rough, really hard walking on stage and had to sit down and but the thing is there was something in his eyes even though he physically wasn't there there was something very soulful and and warm and the fact that he loved what he was doing that gave him purpose to keep going on I think I think that's what I got out of this is when there's something that you really are passionate about we talk about this that that'll that'll sustain you it's probably because he knows that this is going to be his final time that he's going to perform because, like you said, if he looked as rough as you told me, who knows what his uh, his shelf life is going to be towards the end. The other guy looked great. Mickey Dolan's a look. You know, he he looks like he has an age. You know, of course, you wear a hat and, you know, and a long black ba- blazer like Mac and uh, like Mick Jagger, <laughs> like Mac from uh, It's Always Sunny. It's Always Sunny. Oh, oh. <laughs> anyway, music was great. And I had a, a great time, and, and I just wanted to give a review of, of something from a, a time gone by where, although you're not seeing them in their, I guess, in, in their pristine, it was still a great show, and, and a lot of people really enjoyed it. It was nice to go to a show where that was packed, even though, obviously, we had to wear masks the whole thing. And You had to wear a mask the entire time? Yeah, and they had mask police there. They had these, these like, 75-year-old men that were security guards that every time you would take off your mask to drink a cup of water 
they come at you to make sure you put it back on right away. So, but there were a bunch of women there that were hitting the bar too much. They were wasted and they were just kind of uh, belligerent about wearing their mask, like standing up and shaking their mask and shaking their old bodies to kind of say, hey, I know, you, I know you're grossed out. But the, a little, a little bit. Because what you said, the medium age is... Median age is sixty four. There's a there's a lot of they would call a, me a baby if I ever like went to that thing, which I thought about going to. But. A lot of hippies and loose skin floating around, and uh, the thing is, she wasn't gonna let anything like a security guard tell her how to have a good time. I'll tell you right now. So I don't, don't want to know what they did. So it was cool though. But the thing is, that the the fact that this band started off as like a concept, and actually they ended up all becoming songwriters, is really kind of it, it's. It's cool that that, that that it emanated what what was a fantasy became their reality. Is that what happened to um, Spinal Tap? Were they a movie and then they actually wrote some songs, or they were just no, like I a spoof for? A movie? Well, Spinal Tap were all musicians, um, so they but they all multi instrumentalists. They were just goofing on that whole genre, which they did perfectly. So much that people thought they were a real band, and they were so good they actually did do some shows and did some tours as, as a joke. Yeah, but but they were accomplished musicians. They could play anything. I was about to say. I mean, you thought about concepts and all that other stuff. You know, it's funny how you talked about it's always sunny in Philadelphia. You know, the uh, the Iceman cometh. Like yes. they actually put on shows for that. Like they were actually singing uh, Damon. Damon. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, it's kind of interesting, like how they have these kind of concepts, but yet they're able to make well, the final product like towards the end. When you're an artist, you can do anything. You know, the thing is, you can you can go from music to comedy to to you can be a painter for that matter. The thing is, if if you have that in you, that that inner creativity, that's why so many people you see now they they spread out over different genres and they kind of can be like a Renaissance person in a sense. Look at Bruce Dickinson; he's not just a singer; he's a, a pilot, he's a brewer, he he's an entrepreneur, he, he's a spoken word. And I, I think whatever Bruce Dickinson does, he does the best. He turns way. turns into gold, pretty much. Turns to gold. Can you put him in a noir film, like as a cop? Like, a, would he be okay <laughs> at it? Um, I think he, yeah. Like, stop right there! Uh, I was about to say he may have the cop. He may have the cop voice. Stop right. Or he'd be a superhero where his voice is so high that he cracks the windows, like that kind of thing. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people think that's very offensive, which will lead me to my next thing. Yeah. <laughs> Offensive. What, what, what is offensive? Offensive? What is that? Because apparently that word is is used at least a thousand times a day now age here in 2021. Cancel. Cancel culture. culture. Get the heck out of here with that I, garbage. I grew, up, I grew up in the world of Mel Brooks and and George Carlin and, you know. and Don Rickles. And you couldn't get offended because they made fun of everything. Was that Don Rickles in... Um, Breakfast at Tiffany's? No, that was Mickey, Ro- Mickey Rooney, right? Mickey Rooney, I think, yeah. Was he, when he played the, uh, the landlord? Like, he was Japanese. And then nowadays, everyone's going to look like, he's like, that guy's not Japanese. You can't play that you anymore. You can't do that. It's cultural appropriation. I was, about, I, was, I was about to say, yeah, there's a lot of things you can't do anymore. South just, Park get away with it somehow, though. Well, there's South Park. You really <laughs> think that Matt, um, uh, Matt Stone and Trey Parker give a crap? They don't give a crap. They no, just, so, uh, no. anyway, Dave Chappelle had his comedy special on Netflix. You did, know. You, did you watch it? I watched bits and pieces of it, okay, and then... Did you watch, so you didn't watch the whole thing? I didn't watch too much of it, but from the from what <laughs> I heard, it was very funny, though. Well, the whole thing, the whole thing with that, there's all this big controversy, and everyone's saying that 
he he went too far and he's transphobic no, and he's homophobic and you know the thing is he's a storyteller and I think he's a he's a brilliant I guess uh, voice of of what's going on today and the the whole thing is his whole the whole end of the whole show was all about how he took a transsexual uh, comic under his wing who was terrible by the way he said this this person was a horrible comic. And I try to give him some pointers, but, you know, the thing is, he ended up supporting this person. And when actually, unfortunately, that person killed himself, he went to the guy's daughter, set up a trust fund, put, put, is putting money in this to, so she'll be able to go to college and get a lot of money when she's 21. How's that going too far nowadays? I don't know. It's it's we. I, I just don't know what's. But there are Netflix workers. They're like protesting outside the office in Southern California, like to like cancel, like to get rid of his special on there because it's transphobic or something like that. But I'm like, what? If anything, he was just telling the stories that he had, and maybe, maybe in the past he may have had different views on things. But he, you know, his, it sound sound like his his brushes with all kinds of people seemed very sympathetic and he's just kind of telling as it is and as everyday people are just like listening to his storytelling so I, I i didn't understand all the controversy all comedies is basically storytelling like there's literally they can make any kind of skit from walking down the streets of manhattan and it's just like oh yeah look i noticed this guy over there da, 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 da. all that observational humor all that bill burr humor you can't get enough of that guy oh my god i could listen to bill burr all day literally he talks about everything i what was it i heard him talk about uh what was it sports i think it was and i'm like brilliant or the mm-hmm. 500 million the 500 million dollar mansion which is literally absolutely the most pointless thing in the whole wide world <laughs> crazy yeah that was great that was totally great um I, I saw something in the news that Mel Brooks, who's about like, like 95 years old, and this, this all ties in people. The whole thing is he's coming up with a Hulu, I think a TV series called History of the World Part 2, which obviously Part 1 was a movie back in the 80s, which was hysterical, where he poked fun of everyone from obviously Hitler to the Jews to... The Romans to... Eddie. So he went very, very far back. Oh, yeah, this one's going to be... The, the Inquisition. Well, the thing is... Mel Brooks, is he immune from all this cancel culture being almost 100 years old? I, I think he is, but... I think he is too, but I don't think he's actually going to care because by the time that it's out, he may no longer be around. <laughs> he'll, he'll be around, but is he going to tone down his no. rhetoric? <laughs> no, of course not. So, is Larry David slowing down? Larry, no, not at all. And I think that's going to be starting up this weekend. So it I was about to say, well. yeah, that's that was actually one of the things that I posted. What was it? Like, what's everyone's favorite HBO show? Because, you know, Curb Your Enthusiasm, the 11th season comes out Sunday. You had Succession last Sunday, which is an incredible show. If you haven't watched Succession, you should definitely do that on. Because I've never seen so many uh, backstabbers in my entire life. And they're all related for the most part, right? Pretty much, yeah. So you Gotta watch your family, dude. They're out to get you. But anyway, we start we start Rory Cole. <laughs> so, um, what more do we have to talk about? I know we're a little light, but well, we the fact that you were talking about cancel culture, we were going to talk about movies, but that can be a topic for another day. Yeah, well, when I mean another day, possibly next week. Okay, what we'll do is let's think about movies that were made already and what maybe possibly wouldn't be made or what could be. How about the last one I just saw, Porky's? 
Porky's. Porky's was hilarious, by the way. Actually, Howard Stern owns the rights to Porky's. Really? And he could theoretically make... He was thinking about making a new one, but what would no. that look like? No, don't do it. It's going to be like watered down, washed up. It's I just like... I, I, don't know if it, I don't know if it really translates to today, though. I don't know if, if, if seeing teenage guys... Kind of peeking on women, looking, looking through a peephole, or uh, women acting I, like. <laughs> I don't think it's gonna. I don't think that's gonna play like it used to. Let's see a little. No, play it, you know what it is because you, this was before American Pie. You know, movies this is like before that. internet porn. It's like it's not a big deal anymore. It's not that. It's, it's not, not, it's not I, shocking anymore. I was about to say you can't look because literally you could pick up pick up your phone, literally push it a button, and next thing you know, I'm like, oh yeah, you can see this, you can see that, and then, like, Porky's was set in the 50s or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's just gotta be written real well and kind of be more nuanced. It's impossible. Know? I don't think they're gonna be able to pull this off. Well, they probably, they may never ever yeah. see the light of day. Yeah, I don't know. That was one movie I could think of. Do you have another movie you could think of? Well, I was listening to Quentin Tarantino. What he said is, back in the 80s, everybody was very shy about doing, they were very puritanical, but when he made Reservoir Dogs... He actually blew the the whole thing back to to where movies were being made again. He kind of yeah, and then Pulp Fiction, and then all his kind of movies opened the door. All these kind of copycats were gory, violent, well spoken, very uh, you know, very well written kind of movies. Well written, back. and then also very racist sometimes. So well, that's that's he's he's got a history of saying one particular yeah, word. Yeah, he does. Say. He does. But we're not going to go there. But I'm not going to go there anyway. So uh, I think so, that's all we got today. Okay, but that was nice. Yes, that was nice. Analytics, Chappelle, Monkey, done. Yes. Look at that. If you haven't already, follow us on our Facebook page. Follow us on our Instagram page, our Twitter page. We're available on all podcast platforms. We actually may start live streaming soon. How about that? Oh, wow. I guess I, I might have to shave. Nah, no, no, no. Please don't. Last time you shaved, something bad happened. It was so. terrible. Yeah, I, I, we're not going to go into details of what happened. So. so you're saying you don't like my actual face. You like like it covered in, in like looking like the sea captain. Long story short, your body was such in big shock that you shaved your face that something happened. I think you were in shock. Everyone was. Yeah, no. It was well, I'm, back. I'm, I'm back as uh, as the Wolfman, and uh, glad to be back. Go. All right, Ray, love you. Love Lo- you. Go hey. Nets. Go Rangers. Go go teams like that. Go, so. go Kyrie. Go Kyrie. Ooh. <laughs> Harsh.